Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Bewilderbeasts. I'm your host, Melissa McHugh McGrath, recording 1,048.4 miles from Churchill Downs, Louisville, Kentucky. Today, we are betting on the ponies. Let's go! Hi, everyone. I'm back. Thanks for being so great last week. My email and social media DMs were full of super supportive messages and kindness from last week and graphic uh, animations of support and people's dogs and little kittens. And you guys, thank you. I ended up reading everything. And if I didn't respond to you, just know that I heard your words and I saw your pictures and I am feeling a lot better and I meant a lot. Um... I I do just feel a lot better now that I've got that all off my chest. And I know this wasn't what y'all signed up for when you want to listen to an animal show about history and science and fart jokes. And there are plenty of those in today's episode. Um, But I'm a person and it's hard not to be affected by what's happening. And while most of you haven't seen my face, hello, (laughs) podcasting is not a visual medium. At least you know my voice. And while I don't have a lot of things to give, I do have my voice and I was told to use it when necessary and it felt necessary. And if you're back this week, thank you for coming back and for tuning in. And with that said, we are back in the saddle again today, mostly figuratively, but thematically, literally. I wanted to do something a little sillier, a little more fun, and with the Kentucky Derby in the news recently, thanks to a massive and incredible 80 to 1 odds upset by Rich Strike, I just had to do something on horses and racing and those redonkulous names that these horses have. (laughs) But I also have a companion piece because I just started reading so much on these horses. There's going to be a companion piece in the Patreon feed about Rich Strike, the horse who just blew everyone out of the water in the Kentucky Derby. So Patreon, thanks for all you do. And if it hasn't dropped yet, it will very soon. So thank you. Enjoy it. And if you want to hear that episode and all the other episodes in that feed from the last year, go on over there. There's new episodes every month for supporting members at a dollar. That's it. Bop on over. You can't get anything for a dollar these days. So bop over there. You know the drill, right? Just go to patreon.com slash bewilderbeastpod. 
I think those who like the deeper dive stories will love the one on Patron, the little Ukrainian bomb dog that just earned a medal from President Zelensky himself for his dedication to clearing over 200 landmines from his town left behind by the Russian military. Patron, the little bullet, or tuna cans, as you'll see, is doing great work with his partner Misha. So go check that out. I know you want to. So next week is the last episode until fall, but the Patreon feed will be there for you all summer long with new episodes every month. And, you know, like today, I dropped a really funny video I found on YouTube from all my equestrian research today. So if that, you can actually just watch even if you're not a Patreon member, supporter, whatever. So go over there, check it out. There's that little video and I might start using that as just like a fun feed to drop fun things. Okay, with all that said, let's get up to the starting gate. Crouch down and wait for the bell. On your marks, get set. Go! I remember being a kiddo and spending all day watching the television in late spring when the trumpet would blare, the horses would line up, and the bell would ring. The gates would open and a wall of horses would fire out of the starting line like a cannon as fast as they could, hitting the dirt. I would hold my breath for what seemed like minutes but was really probably like seconds because I was a kid and didn't have great breath control then. My eyes would be wide open as I would cheer on the gray horse in a sea of brown horses, the one that would make me laugh the most going into the starting gates, or the one that had the best name, or the filly as there weren't many lady horses running these races, or the one with the underdog story that the announcers would harp on for 3,000 hours on NBC leading up to the race because they had a lot of time to fill. It's incredible how you can spend all day watching and waiting for the fastest two minutes in sports. But it was always so exciting to watch, at least for me. Because we didn't have cable television, this was my day. And as a young kiddo, I wanted nothing more than to grow up and be a jockey. And that dream was shattered when I became too big to be a jockey at age 10, <laughs> like many people. And I knew I would be too tall or too big to ride at that level and do those things, but I still dreamed about it. And instead of running on the playground, I was that kid who would always run at a gallop. Always. A one-mile run for the presidential fitness challenge? Arnold Schwarzenegger never gave me bonus points for lead changes around the turns, but I did them, and I know I did them, and so did my classmates, and they made fun of me for it, but I galloped. And I always finish that race in under nine minutes in slip-on kids from Walmart. I always wanted to be there with the horses, fly on their backs as the ground whizzed underneath, running to where I didn't care. I just wanted to feel that wind in my hair and run the race of the roses with everyone cheering for you, or maybe against you. Just you and your horse and 100,000 spectators and the other horses, and riders, and their trainers, and owners, and sports stars, and marketing agents. Okay, but sure, but but it's really just you and your horse. It was a beautiful fantasy until you have to clean up the horse poop out of your hair from a wayward pitchfork, or that freeing gallop leads you to swallow a mosquito at 30 miles an hour. But I loved it so much. 
I loved it so much. I ended up going to a college for horse people. I went to an equestrian college so I could maybe learn how to ride horses professionally. Maybe not in a race, but maybe for pretty or to help people with PTSD coming back from the Iraq war because that was the time that I went to college. And then I promptly broke my spine two months into the pony program. (laughs) I decided instead of a bucking bronco, I would take a couch and clients. And I earned my degree in psychology instead. But the magic of horses has never left my soul. Or the comedy. Because aside from the athleticism and the beauty and the spectacle and the mystique of these animals, you have the WTF hats were the truly and utterly ridiculous naming conventions used in hoity-toity animal shows and sports. In 2011, an announcer actually had to say the words, pants on fire. This horse ran in the Kentucky Derby. This horse was apparently named, and I'm not making this up, due to his father's alleged, quote, below-the-belt passions in the breeding shed. (laughs) Unquote. But after the horses are retired from raising, they often go on to make money based on what's called studding fees. This means that their sperm goes on to produce new offspring. And in any other horse interaction, this is usually a vial of sperm that is collected, put in a FedEx truck, and zipped off for artificial insemination anywhere in the world. It is handy, it is dandy, it is easy, and it is not the way that they do this in horse racing. It is way less difficult on the mare who can get hurt and less stressful on the traveling horse when you have them in a new room with eight strangers to watch them do the deed. And the owner is paid for that sperm in the hopes to produce the very next super cool horse. However, in horse racing, because the jockey club is very, mm, let's just say traditional, will not allow for artificial insemination. They say that this is better to get genetic opportunity, but truthfully, the people who run the breeding sheds and the transportation companies, all of it makes buckaroos on moving ponies from point A to point B. I think artificial insemination might open the door for more genetic diversity in that it's more accessible to have these horses go on to pass their genes on in other ways, in other countries, in other towns, just like 80s rock stars. But instead, the phrase live cover is often used, meaning that these two horses will go on to have a real live date in a breeding room. The mare is restrained and will likely kick, and horses can get really hurt in live matings. They are large animals with very pokey bony feet that can lead to everyone in the room getting hurt and needing medical treatment. Pants on Fire's stud fee was originally set to $5,000 for a successful meeting. Well, Pants on Fire did not appear to have the same uh, proclivity to the breeding shed as his dad. And he was not able to breed any mares in his first season, as he showed no interest in breeding. (laughs) He was then instead sent to Dubai for some time off, in quotes, and will return when he begins to show interest in mares. That whole chunk of words just made me physically ill. Oh my god, horse people, y'all have lost it. And I'm saying this as someone who paid to go to school, to go to college, to ride horses. 
Maybe if Pants on Fire's owners weren't so gung-ho on naming him after his daddy's mounting prowess, he might not have been made fun of by all the other horses on the track. Or maybe he just wants to be a star on Pony Broadway or open a restaurant. No one has asked this horse what he wants to do, and I'm guessing it's like eat grass and poop in a field. I think he's telling you loudly and clearly that he has no desire to be a part of any of this crazy human shenanigan stuff. Let's go back to the names. Here's a funny thing to keep in mind. The winner of the Kentucky Derby gets to have their name up in giant letters on the famous Churchill Downs track for a year. So there was a good chance a year ago that the horse named Soup and Sandwich would have been in big lights, leading to either mass confusion that there was a food special track side or that they would be inspired to open a deli counter and make a little bit more moolah. Um, yeah, I'll take the number three. Yeah, the sea biscuit with cheddar instead of gouda. Hold the pickle, extra fries. I'm going to go on a limb here that saying naming a horse lost cause was the first case of hopeful irony in sports history as this horse ran in 1882. But instead, lost cause ended up being a little bit more prophetic in that race. The owners evidently set expectations instead as that horse placed unlucky 13th. Sports Illustrated had a list of best and worst names of racehorses, and while I have to disagree, many of their worsts were actually my bests. I have to agree with this one, though, this one assessment on a racehorse named Watermelon, who placed dead last in 1914. Quote from Sports Illustrated, You name your horse after a bulbous fruit with no legs, you take your chances. End quote. Though... Truly, Seabiscuit, if you just take that name on its face, I could see this in the worst list. But because he won, no one box at that. But imagine a horse named Watermelon holding up today as the pinnacle of equestrian sports. Seriously though, think about it. WTF is a Seabiscuit. I think it's those like little ginger crackers that you eat so you don't vomit on the port bow on the ocean. But Seabiscuit won, so his name is one of the bests. Watermelon lost, he's one of the worsts. Turns out you can get away with a whole lot if you win. But how can these names be real? Watermelon rolling into the finish line. Oh look, he's just lifting his tail. Yep, there he goes, dead last. And finishing the race by, well, let's just say seeding the track. Watermelon was, like Seabiscuit before him and Rich Strike and Manowar, a registered name. This is the name that they call on the track that people bet on, the one that is blazoned across the newspaper headlines when they win or lose in spectacular fashion. But in addition to the registered name, they have a barn name, which is more like a nickname. So let's look at my actual name, right? Melissa Corinne McHugh McGrath. Like a racehorse, the name is too long. (laughs) But my friends in high school called me Q, as there were seven Melissas because the 80s, there were three names. If you weren't a Melissa, you were a Jennifer or a Jessica, and that was, I guess, it for 1981. Anyway, there were seven Melissas in my graduating class. Last names were a great way to maybe keep us organized and and identifiable. But 
my friends in high school were cooler than that and they called me Q, which is way more fun. Having the same cool nickname as Q, the gadget guy from James Bond or the comic relief in Star Trek, was super great. Until this one twit of a guy in the 2000s decided to start an absurd conspiracy theory about a pizza parlor basement. Well, much like our nicknames, a horse's nickname is their barn name. That's the name that they're called in the barn, or the thing that you yell at them after a slew of curse words when they step on your foot, or they headbutt you. Affectionately, of course. In fact, Manowar, one of the most famous racehorses in the history of ever, had a barn name, Big Red, or just Red. And my favorite thing about this incredible horse, as a two-year-old in 1919, he lit up the tracks. He won nine out of ten of the races that he started. And his only loss came when the race started and he was facing the wrong direction because they didn't have starting gates at the time. They just had a piece of tape on the ground. The gates make sure that everyone was nose forward, pointing in the right direction and had an equal chance at starting going the right way. That race, the one race where he lost, the one where he was facing the wrong way, yeah, Manowar still finished in second place. And hilariously, he was the favorite. He was aptly beat by the horse named Upset, which is said to be the start of people using the phrase upset to describe exactly this thing. The same thing that Rich Strike just did to the entire field at this year's Kentucky Derby. While that's a cute story, though that piece of it isn't entirely true, there is evidence that you can look up very easily of examples of upset being used to explain a surprising defeat decades before the Man War upset race. But there is no doubt that this may have cemented it permanently into phraseology, as we still use this very phrase over a century later. Man War's son, War Admiral, went on to win the Triple Crown, as did his grandson, Seabiscuit, who I think went on to have Tony McGuire play him in the film. I might be remembering that incorrectly. It's been a minute. But in order to be named officially, the horses' names have to be submitted to the overlords of naming within two years of the horse being born. So you can have a horse named whatever you want. You can call it Sugar Plum if you want. But it's registered name. You have two years to submit that for the racing overlord people. And these guys are called the Jockey Club in the United States. And these are the same overlords who will not allow for the little vials of semen to scatter the world over. In the UK, they are called the British Horse Racing Authority. And I don't know much about them. That's all I can say on the matter. But in order to get the green checkmark, the name has to pass several tests. Some are more obvious. Other horses don't have the name. Okay, makes sense. You can't have a second man of war. I get it. But that also means that these names, after over 150 years, have to get a little bit more mm, creative, like watermelon. And often, these names also get longer. No trademarks or copyrighted materials can be used in the name, so Hamilton the Musical is way out. Lin-Manuel Miranda the horse is also way out as a horse name because the person submitting the name has to have written consent from the famous person to use their human name for their racing pony. Margaret Thatcher, former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, 
famously turned down the, I'm guessing honorific, of having a racehorse named after her. She turned it down, which meant that the horse needed a new name. <laughs> this poor horse was later named, as one long word with no spaces, We Are a Grandmother. I personally would have gone with Maggie Thatch, but I don't have a racehorse or millions of dollars, so what do I know? Usain Colt had some good starts and won some races over a decade ago. Pretty solid name. And some cleverness comes from current events. Last year's pandemic names were out by a length, including a colt registered under the name Fauci and another horse registered as Herd Immunity. Excellent pun, by the way, right? Get it? Herd? <laughs> so while names are getting longer and longer because after almost 150 years, you have to add more letters or be more creative with the letters you have, the other thing is that register names cannot be longer than 18 letters. You also cannot use initials, so Homer J. Simpson, the horse, cannot run in the race because the J stands for J. But Homer J., J-A-Y Simpson, might actually fly. No junior, no senior, and I'm guessing no names like Seabiscuit 2, Too Fast, Too Furious, probably a no-go, I'm guessing, which is a total bummer. But my favorite rule is that the name cannot be lewd or vulgar. But Melissa, that seems like that's not like you at all. Are you okay? Are you well? Oh ho ho, au contraire. The reason I like this rule is that some people see the can't be lewd or vulgar as challenge accepted. And like license plates, when one gets through that makes me giggle, we know that they were put in to see what people can get away with. And here are some examples. And again, these were accepted names that satisfied a long line of rules put in place to keep the sanctity of going as fast as possible around a track on grass-eating, pooping machines while waiting 80s chic colors, knickers, thigh-high boots to win an obscene amount of money, being led by a group founded by wealthy white sportsmen back before we had penicillin or reliable electricity who are all interested in not embarrassing the jockey club with stupid names. <laughs> Cracking my knuckles, here we go. Ahem. Hoof-hearted. It looks super nice on paper, right? Hoof-hearted? It's like hoof prints on your heart. Well, say it three times fast. Go on, I'll give you a minute. Epic fart joke, right? Well played to that loophole finder. Up top. Other ones that got through. Panty Raid, Riding Miss Daisy, Bodacious Tatas, Junk in the Trunk, and Odor in the Court. Because fart is one of the banned words deemed offensive by the organization. It's unclear if that came before or after who farted. <laughs> Which I think is why I love the hoof-hearted got through on a technicality. Britannica. From those of us from the 1990s and older, we remember those giant encyclopedias in the library, right? They smelled so good and were so heavy. But the Encyclopedia Britannica has moved on to mainly an online format and has the article that I can guarantee was never bound in leather in the school library. Quote, seven of the weirdest horse race names in history. My favorite in this whole episode. Potato! That is the word pot 
followed by eight O's. It's not poto, which is what it looks like. It is potato. The legend is that the owner asked a stable boy to write the horse's name, potatoes, on his stall door. The boy misunderstood the assignment. He enthusiastically took a writing quill, I imagine because it was the 1700s, wrote pot, followed by eight O's. The owner liked this name so much that the horse was registered with it. He went on to win 34 races from 1776 to 1785, many of his races going over four miles long. That is more than twice the length of the Kentucky Derby. This horse's name was eventually shortened to P-O-T, the letter 8, O-S, Potatoes. He went on to sire 165 winning horses. <laughs> Y'all, that is a lot of time in the breeding shed. Hey, pants on fire. Don't think about your dad. Think about potatoes. He also had a really bad, though funny, name, and he went on to do great things. Just think about potatoes while you're in there. One of his 165 winning children and countless losers, uh, actually that's a horrible way to describe this horse's kids, was named Waxy. He went on to win nine out of 10 races. Incidentally, Waxy, it's a kind of potato. For all the peg leg pony people in the house, there was a horse named R, and he won leaving the announcer yelling, R, R, R. Honestly, two thirds of the fun is putting horses in a position to win so the announcer has to do stuff like this. In fact, you know what? It's better to just play the clip. If you can find this video on YouTube, I have watched it five times and it makes me laugh every time. This horse named R starts at the very back of the pack and goes on to win this race. And the announcers, Tom Durkin, Joy and Glee. It's palpable. Here's a clip. Stan Pat up the challenge for that lead as they field. Turns for home. Matt Swish on the outside runs in third. Then down toward the inside, it's feline fell in fourth. In the middle of the track is Arr! Coming down to the final 16th, it is Stan Pat in front. Arg! 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 In front, coming down to the wire. They're coming to the finish, and it's all Feline fell in second, Stan Pat third. There are, of course, rightfully, some names that did not pass the mustard. First, we have to describe spoonerism. <laughs> spoonerism is where a person who is speaking swaps sounds between two neighboring words. Here's an example. If a priest with spoonerism was to give the line, the Lord is a loving shepherd, he may slip and say, the Lord is a shoving leopard. Hopefully to the congregation's glee and delight, certainly to mine. Often this is not a big deal, but you can just imagine that if you were to switch the first letters of a few words that are put together in just the right way, or swap words entirely, you would get some pretty funny or maybe even obscene phrases. With that in mind, and knowing how the challenge accepted mentality of the heroes of our story today work, Hucking Fell did not slip past the prestigious jockey club. I truly hope that Hucking Fell did not fall too far, because then he would have swore like a pirate. Ah!
Like grocery store wine, many of us, hi, it's me, I'm us, tend to make purchasing decisions based on the label art or the name unless we are really, really into wine and know what we're doing. I do not drink a lot of wine and could not tell you the difference between a Pinot anything and a Zinfandel, but I have purchased almost all of the wine in my, all of the wine that I have consumed since a legal and above board drinking age based solely on the label, the art, or often those names that got through loopholes just like these horses. And I think that there's something to be said for naming horses like this too. For folks who are not into racing or numbers or couldn't tell an 8 to 1 odd from a 9 to 5 on a clock, I can't, the names have it. And those names matter greatly. The names matter to the people who own the horses because they might slide something of note about their farm into that name. So a good name is also a decades or centuries publicity stunt. Other times, the horse's parents are in the name. So a horse named Mr. Brick, who really won some races, his daughter was given the name Windy Brick. So Brick, Brick. Cool. With me? Got it. So when Windy Brick and Rare Performer had a magical evening in a breeding shed with strangers making commentary the whole time, they had a foal named Rare Brick. Rare from the dad, Rare Performer, and Brick from the mom and the grandfather. With me so far? Cool. So remember Odor in the Court from way up at the top of this episode. His father was named Judge Smells. So, weird hat tip, but a hat tip just the same. Further up Odor in the Court's lineage, his great-grandfather was named Iron Ruler, and his parents were never bend and obedient. So if you follow his lineage chart and the family tree for this horse, which I think are pretty fun to look at, but I'm a nerd, you can see how you get from this powerful, inspiring name like Never Bend and Obedient and Iron Ruler to Judge Smells and Odor in the Court. (laughs) This is more like the court jester, but every family has a class clown and I am here for it. Y'all, when the horse named Scat Daddy, which if you like jazz, and I think this is how this got past like the judges that be, you've got the scatalap da bop 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 Sure, scat. But if you're into nature, and that's why we're here, right? Scat is a delicate term for boop. So if you look at this from a nature lens and not a jazz hands lens, this horse was named Poo Daddy. So Scat Daddy and Stage Magic got together, their baby horse went on to run all three of the American Triple Crown races, Kentucky Derby, Belmont Stakes, and Preakness, and he won. He won in 2015. This horse from Scat Daddy and Stage Magic was the 13th horse in history to win the Triple Crown, and his name to the newspaper's relief was Justify. A great, inspiring name, which I'm sad because it easily could have been Scat Magic, which would have been right up my alley. Instead, they named him Justify. Cool. A horse name that is now retired and can never be used again in horse racing. So lucky you, Scat Magic is available. Magic Boo! Side note. 
justify. Like many racehorses, purebred dogs, animals bred for function, like cows with increased milk production, etc., are often what's called line bred. That is a cutesy term for breeding back to the parent or grandparent or cousin to increase the likelihood of a trait happening again. Understandably, this can backfire spectacularly. If you look up the Habsburg jaw in royal families, you can see it. Even Cleopatra was initially married off to her own brother, and she was so not cool with that. Ew, right? There's a grunge article in the show notes about all of this if you're more interested, but I'm going to leave it right here at ew, super not cool. But in the case of horse breeding, breeding a horse back to a grandparent who was fast to hopefully get a faster baby horse, the risk of serious problems as time goes on is high. Shrinking the genetic pool also gets higher. The risk of vomiting when thinking about this form of inbreeding is also high. You're welcome. I'm sorry. But if you do go back and you start looking back through some of these family trees for these racehorses, you are likely going to see the same name come up as grandfather and great-grandfather and cousin and... Ugh. Anyway, y'all, about one-third of the 60,000 names submitted every year are turned down. That's 20,000 names are rejected. And I'm not kidding, Horsey McHorseface was not one of them. <laughs> in Australia, which is not beholden to the United States rules on horse naming conventions, horse owner Joe Rossetti came to play. He convinced his co-owner Bjorn Baker to roll with the name a month after the Brits did the most novice internet mistake of all time and decided to let the public choose a name by popular vote using hashtag name our ship online poll for their 300 million dollar research ship which was as you may remember named Bodie McBoatface <laughs> it turns out the name was overridden and probably rightfully so is now named the RSS Sir David Attenborough which was fourth in this online poll knighted hero, zoologist, and person I would just faint if I got to meet in real life came in fourth behind Bodie McBoatface. God bless the internet. The name Bodie McBoatface, though, was still used as part of the naming convention for this research vessel. The boat was not named Bodie McBoatface, but one of the submersible machines was named Bodie McBoatface. And my understanding is that they just call her Bodie for short. Cute. It's her barn name, Bodie. Compromise is important, y'all. So while all of this was going on and Bodie McBoatfacing became part of the lexicon, now a term for the critical mistake of letting the internet decide things, heroes Joe Rossetti and Bjorn Baker leaned in and named their racehorse Horsey McHorseface. <laughs> Quote, we just had a laugh about it in the office and thought, hey, why not? He's a good horse. We just thought it would be a good fit. Any publicity is good publicity. We'd absolutely love to win with him on a big day. It would be A, hilarious, and B, great for the owners. End quote. 
was right on all counts. That quote came from CNN, so it was clearly great for publicity, right? I also love that he thought hilarious was the first thing because that is also true. I love this guy. I'm guessing a solid 4,000 of those rejected 20,000 names are straight up fart jokes. And I am going to reenact right now a horse race using imagined rejected fart joke names. And this I dedicate to the jockey club. And it's 2D2 passing Gas Machine, and Gas Machine is moving fast by Crop Duster, who is fading quick. Crop Duster is likely going to lose this race. This is unbelievable. He came in as the fan favorite. What a shame, as Crop Duster was the favorite to win. Who is going to upset Crop Duster? Oh, look, coming along the inside, it's, yes, yes, it's Beans for Dinner. He's really putting on the gas. I've never seen a horse move so fast, and the horses behind Beans for Dinner are fading fast. Probably that cloud of dust. I think it's dust. It's not doing anyone any favors. But downwind is breaking from the outside. And there is movement in the cloud. A lot of movement. And the finish line is fast approaching. The riders can't seem to get to the finish line fast enough. Number two has dropped out of the race. And it's downwind passing beans for dinner. It's downwind by a nose. Downwind has won the Kentucky Derby. That was really fun. I am so happy my husband was working in the office today and not home to hear me yelling that in the basement while he was on a work call. (laughs) Oh, that was so fun. Guys, I love doing this show. Thank you so much for joining me today on Bewilderbeasts. I can't thank y'all enough for everything. I really, really appreciate it. If there are topics that you would be interested in hearing about on the podcast for next season, know of any historical animals who have changed the world, animals who help humans, or animals with hilarious names to get around stuffy head honcho organizations, send it in to bewilderbeastpod at gmail.com. Tweet at bewilderedpod, bewilderbeast on bewilderbeastpod on Facebook, and bewilderbeast on Instagram. You can also message me through the Patreon, patreon.com slash bewilderbeastspod. My favorite method of communication right now, though, is go to the website, bewilderbeastpod.com. Click on that little button. It's right on the side of the screen and just talk. It's great. I get a voice memo from you. You get to say your thing. Everything's great. Anyway, I'm Melissa McHugh McGrath. Call name Q with Mudstuff Media. Now go get curious. I got today's information from a lot of places, so buckle in. Wikipedia on the history of the Triple Crown in Thoroughbred Racing, LiveScience.com, CNN.com, HorseRacingSense.com, SportsIllustrated.com, CNN.com, on Horsey McHorseface, Wikipedia.org on Bodie McBoatface, and Wikipedia.org on Justify parentheses, horse, end parentheses. DenverPost.com, Wikipedia on Ruler on Ice, which was 
a joke that I didn't make in the show, Ruler on Ice was apparently Pants on Fire's rival, and there were just some medical jokes that I just couldn't fit. Make them yourself. Wikipedia.org on the Jockey Club, AmusingPlanet.com on Potato, Grunge.com on the Habsburg Jaw, and Why Inbreeding is Bad, the Measure of Things website, my favorite website, and my God, if you can, find this YouTube video in the show notes of Tom Durkin calling the R race. It's, it will make you smile, and if you need it, just watch it. Links, as always, are in the description of today's episode. Intro music, Tiptoe Out the Back by Dan Leibowitz, interstitial music by MK2, additional music by Pixabay and freesound.org. Do not forget to subscribe so that way when I come back next season, you know I'll be in your phone. I'll be in your feed. Review and please, please, please tell your friends this summer about this show. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week for the last episode of this season. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at podfixnetwork on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.